Before we get going with our podcast, we'd like to take this opportunity to give Benchtown TV's first sponsor, Riverside, another huge shout out. We've been doing this podcast for the last four years, and we could never seem to find the perfect recording and editing software that fit all of our content creation needs. That all ended after we discovered Riverside.fm, the best software we found for podcast recording. Riverside is an all-inclusive, one-stop shop that allows for professional-level content creation through top-of-the-class features such as video marketing, easy-to-create social media clips, webinars, and automatic transcriptions of the recordings. Another incredible feature of Riverside is local recording, which bypasses poor internet connection to create studio-quality audio and video. Riverside even has an entire library of tutorials called Riverside University to assist in any way possible. If you're in the content creation business or even looking to upgrade your audio video software for more casual chats with your friends and family, Riverside is a must-have. You can try Riverside for free at Riverside.fm and you can use the promo code BINGETOWNTV, one word, B-I-N-G-E-T-O-W-N-T-V for 15% off. We will leave the link in the promo code in the show notes. Once again, that is Riverside.fm and promo code Benchtown TV for a discount. Thanks again to Riverside for being an amazing service for our podcast and for sponsoring this episode. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Benchtown TV. My name is Jim, and I'm joined by my co-hosts Paul and Luke. And today we begin our coverage of Hulu and FX's Shogun. Today we cover season one, episodes one and two. If you're listening from our Shogun feed and are not familiar with our other podcast coverage, then we just want to introduce ourselves. We are the Benchtown TV podcast, and we cover binge-worthy TV shows. We've been a podcast for almost four years, and we have covered over 100 different TV shows, and we've even had the opportunity to speak with some of the stars of our favorite shows. Our podcast covers so many different shows, and besides Shogun, we would love to have you as a listener for those as well. We recently covered True Detective Night Country, Reacher, and Jujutsu Kaisen, and we're currently covering Masters of the Air, the live-action adaptation of Avatar The Last Airbender, and Peacock's The Traders. So what I'm trying to say is that we cover a lot of TV, and we want you all to come for the ride. All you have to do is search Binstown TV on any of your favorite podcast apps, or check us out at BinstownTV.com. All right, guys. Luke, Paul, we're here. Shogun, episode one and two. We have been dying for this. We've been waiting for it. Give me your thoughts. What do you guys think? So let me give some high-level thoughts here, and then we can start going the roundtable before we jump into the deep dive of the actual episodes. So if you're listening to this for the first time and you didn't know, Shogun just dropped this week, and it actually came out with two episodes at the same time. So this is going to be a little bit of a longer podcast. I'm sure we're going to be flying through some of the plot points that get resolved in episode two a little bit quicker because this is going to be looked at as if you've seen both episodes. So Mm -hmm. please don't listen until you've watched both of them because there's going to be a little bit of spoilers here and there. Um, But some things I want to cover and just make sure that the audience is aware of about this show. This is a story that's based on a book. So it's an adaptation of a best-selling book by James Clavel. And I want to point this out because I read something recently and it it really caught my attention that an editor of this book was saying that this book was so popular when it came out. I'm going to read this direct quote. It's going to make sense here. What he ended up saying was, Shogun has probably conveyed more information about Japan to more people than all of the combined writings of scholars, journalists, and novelists since the Pacific War, which is just mind-blowing to think about that something that's a historical drama, I'm sure things are exaggerated, I'm sure there's some truth to it there, is one of the most common stories around this time period. And just speaking for myself here, I have some level of awareness of the Japanese culture in modern day, and it's mostly based in my understanding and just being ingrained in the anime community, like the culture and the honorifics, all that. 
that's pretty much as far as my knowledge of the history of Japan goes. Like, I don't know too much about it. So th- one of the best things about Shogun, besides how amazing and the writing, the acting, all that stuff, all the good stuff there is, is that it's not just entertaining, but it's teaching me about all of these different historical events, just how people talk to each other, the different political structures. It's very Game of Thrones-esque in that way. And this is right up my alley for TV shows. So... Before I pass it along to you guys, just to give your piece about what you think, and then we'll get into the specifics. One other thing I really wanted to point out was just that I want to get out in front of it that we're probably going to be messing up the pronunciations here. This is complicated, and it's not just because it's a Japanese historical TV show, but there's so many characters, so many regions, so many lords, so many you know servants. Like It's, it's going to take us a little bit. Hopefully by the end of the next podcast, we'll have everything, we'll have everything down. Cause like I went as far as to create a mock-up little family trees just to see if I had an understanding. I'm sure I have some things wrong. And again, if pronunciations aren't there, we apologize. We're going to do our best here. And naturally some nicknames are going to come out of the woodwork too. But overall, I'm ready to freaking dive into this. This was probably the strongest one, two episode start of a series I can remember in a really long time. This show has been circled on my calendar for, I don't know, whenever it was announced. And I have so many things to say, but I'll let you guys give your piece before we can start breaking down the episode. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it was the anticipation and the hype leading up to it, but what Luke said, absolutely in love with it after just two episodes and build on what you were saying. It is so amazing to see how they view life, how they view purpose, what they should do with their life, and the consequences if they go beyond where they should. And like like Luke was saying, you know, we're we're anime fans and we've been watching for a while, but it's different because everything there is so so exaggerated and this is almost like a historical not a documentary, but it seems pretty damn accurate of how they view life and how they just talk to one another. So like I'm learning so much, but I'm also having so much fun watching and the character relationships and just the the need to follow the rules and the traditions. It's such a chess match. It's amazing. And I love it already. I obsessed with the characters i think they're so cool i'm so ready to talk about them and maybe what their futures are and i think we're gonna have like maybe some death pools going here because mm. it feels like there's gonna be a lot of deaths and i i can't be more excited for a show after two episodes and just to jump off the back of that point we don't know like how close this is this is linked to actual history so and i'm avoiding looking up anything so if you know like certain characters are going to die and certain characters are going to elevate their status i would suggest uh we're not the community to <laughs> we don't want to see we don't want to see those things is what i'm saying this is going right, to be don't spoil us i believe it's going to be a limited series like one season show so it's not like we're going to have an off season where we're where we can have it spoiled for us but they did say that they're going to leave the door open for a possible season two because it's a historical drama. It can continue regardless of who dies and who lives. So, But just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, we don't know the Japanese history, so we don't know what Shogun is going to emerge and who's going to die and all that stuff. The ge- geography alone, just to go off that, like Ajiro versus Izu versus Edo, like I don't mm-hmm. really know any of those. I, and I'm kind of excited to learn as we go, but... There will be questions, so clarification would be nice if you uh, want to mm-hmm. leave a comment. Spoiler free. Yeah, yeah do your best to be spoiler <laughs> free. When we're covering Masters of the Air, we've had a lot of people 
awesome comments, awesome Discord comments, giving us some background information without spoiling us. We have had a few people spoil us. We try not to look at it, but the background information, all that extra stuff, we love it. So if you guys want to join the Discord, tweet at us, comment on our YouTube channel, whatever it is, we appreciate all of that. I agree with everything you guys just said. I don't want to beat a dead horse already with the two of you and how how much you've already said, but I want to talk about just like right away when this show starts, the visuals, you could tell they're not messing around. Mm-hmm, I was like, mm-hmm. whoa, when the set pieces, the visuals, everything about it has been amazing this entire two episodes. The acting, like you guys said, amazing. Our boy, Sonata. Yeah, Hiroyuki Sonata, who's the top of the call sheet, he is unbelievably good and compelling like this this might be his career defining role and he has been in 30 different movies that i love him and every second of it like this is this might be the role for him that when i 20 years from now think about this actor this is who i'm going to picture and i he was incredible so yeah hiroyuki sonata is a legend we could just name every single thing that we love from him luke had an awesome tweet with everything that he loved he's already phenomenal you can just tell John Blackthorne's actor. I recognized him from Peaky Blinders. Mm-hmm. He has like the same kind of quirks in the beginning that Barney did from Peaky Blinders. And that's kind of how I recognize him, even though he had the long hair and the beard. It just, it just like clicked for me. And I love that actor. Rodriguez, she, all these people are doing phenomenal stuff already in the first two episodes. And I am super into this. It's very compelling stuff. Let's just get into it. Let's just start talking about it. Okay. And there's one thing I want to clarify, and I could be so off base with this, but are they trying to show us that when they're speaking English, they're speaking Portuguese? Yes. There is one time where they actually speak Portuguese, like in subtitles, like people in the background, which really threw me off, but it's very heavily implied that anytime there's a translator involved, whether it's Mariko or um, what is his name? Father Martin. Father Martin. They're speaking Portuguese. John has yeah. a line when he's with the prisoners where he's saying, and I'm fluent in Portuguese. So he is speaking Portuguese. That's why Mariko says like senor and Rodriguez calls him English and everything like that. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe, yes. It took me a while, though, before I realized that. So I'm Agreed. sure there's plenty out there that we just okay, blew their mind. So, so how we're going to do this is we're going to go through the first episode, um, and it's going to be split into two buckets. Rather than us jumping around scene by scene, everything's pretty isolated, and it's surrounding our main two characters, John Blackthorne and everything he does. And then, of course, Tornaga, who's going to be probably the majority of all the scenes in the show going forward. Right before we start the first scene, there is that little write-up, Star Wars style, where they give you the all the background info and the context that you need to know what the setting is. And this story is going to take place in the, in the year 1600 in Japan. Shout out to Blue-Eyed Samurai, because that's also very similar age. I Actually, it might be within a decade of this. I don't know. Yep. Either way, this is the Edo period in, um, in Japanese history. So... It's also going to be important that there's going to be a lot of religions in this show, whether it's Catholicism, uh, Protestantism, or whatever the... uh, They actually didn't really clarify here, but I think it's implied that when the emperor, sorry, the Taiko is dying, they they refer to the Buddha. So Buddhism is what we're going off of until we get more information. So forgive us for the religion religious things none of us are really super religious but that is a very key part in this and a lot of characters motivations and their backstories so we're going to try and keep that straight for you guys but what we find out right away is that the taiko who's the leader of japan he died uh, a year ago in the year 1599 we get that flashback in episode two 
But what's important, and this is going to be the backbone of the entire show's plot, is that with the leader gone now, there's an underaged heir who I forget how old he is, but he's he's definitely like under 10. He's around that age. And there are five very powerful men in Japan that are going to be vying for control. This is very Game of Thrones-esque. I love this stuff, the political strife, all that's going to go into this show and why I have such high expectations because I thought all the seeds and all the world building that happens right away is is so excellent. So with that being said, jumping into the actual show itself, we open up and Lord Tornaga is actually on his way to the Asaka Castle, which is where the Taiko usually lives. And he's being summoned there to talk to the councilmen. And there's going to be five councilmen, including himself. We'll deep dive that in a little bit. These are the regent rulers right now. While the heir of the, the previous Tycho is coming of age, these five rulers are supposed to, or these five um, councilmen are supposed to rule in his place. Just similar to, spoiler, like Cersei Lann- Lannister is like the regent for a little bit in Game of Thrones. Like she's, she's ruling on behalf of her son until they're of age. And that's the whole mm-hmm. premise here. And that just makes for excellent storytelling because that leads to backstabbing, you know, truces and alliances, all that good stuff. So I want to just open up the dialogue to everything from Tornaga seeing Osaka Castle, going into the councilman's room and having that conversation with them all before his, uh, one of his clansmen steps out of line and gets, and basically gets a little slap on the wrist, which that dude's an idiot. And his name is Todayoshi. I just literally in my, in my family tree that I made, I just labeled him as an idiot because he just... So dumb, but it it did get the point across about the level of respect that is in this political atmosphere and just in the core of the Japanese culture. And it's just, I thought it got the point across really well, but let's talk about all these councilmen in this conversation. What do you guys think? So immediately my first vibe was that Tornaga is without a doubt the best fit to be the next Shogun, right? Because everybody seems threatened by him. As soon as he walks into the room, he's like, this is new seating. And the rest of the council's like, yeah, well, we're a little suspicious of you. And that's, it's not suspicion, it's fear and jealousy almost. They know that he could be the best fit and their best chance of getting a seat was come together and we're going to go against him. So Tornaga being a prisoner in Osaka, knowing this, walking in, being as nice as possible, like yelling at his own Toriyoshi, like how dare you accuse Ishido of, of saying all those things to me? I mean, it just sets mm. down that he knows exactly what to do and he knows all the rules, but he's still going to play along because there is tradition and there is the right thing to do in their mm-hmm. eyes. So amazing that he willingly gives himself up basically as a prisoner. I mean, Hiramatsu saying this too, like we all know this. We're basically waiting for our deaths like a few days away, but he doesn't care because he's the best. So the leverage that Tornaga presents to the councilman and they know is the fact, and they're calling him out in this room about it, is the fact that he has now at his castle, like where he's from, the mother of the heir. And we need the community to come and correct us on this because we're a little bit shaky on how the how the marriages and all the mothers work right now. But from our understanding right now and what and what Tornaga actually says is that Lady Ochiba's sister is married to his son because it's his daughter in law. So the family picture gets a little bit crazy here, but from my understanding, the leverage that Tornaga is is presenting is something that has weight and the councilmen can't do anything. They can't move against him and his clansmen here because of who's under his guard, right? And under his watch. 
The episode begins with a flashback to the Tycho. He lays in the ceremonial hall dying. The room is full of visitors who have come to pay their respects. The Tycho's wife, Lady Eo, is at his side. He calls for his young son, the heir, who rushes to him. It's like staring into your mother's eyes. He tells the boy, and then his mother, Lady Ochiba, stands on mm-hmm. the side watching. Okay, so Lady Eo asks the kid to return to his mother... Turning to address the room full of visitors, the Taika would like to be alone. The visitors bow before standing. Lady Ochiba thinks she's entitled to stay, but Lady Eo, the wife, gives her a look that lets her know she has to go. So, okay, it's we're the mother. Good. It's That's, the heir's so mother. That's all Ochiba is, yeah. So, so right, she's not the wife of the right. Taika. She's just the mother. Okay, cool. We're good. Right. So, after, like, the leverage is all presented, whatever, and they're, they're fighting back and forth, we get some information drops here that Toronaga's fiefdom has been increasing at an insane rate, and fiefdom's just, like, an equivalence for power and right. how influential you are. He's also, and correct, I don't think we got anything else on this, but he's consented to six different marriages, which I'm not really sure what's going on there. Maybe that'll come back into play, but it just seems like... From the councilman's perspective, Tornaga's scheming for the power. And from what we've seen and what we're told, that's not really the case. He's, he actually has a good head on his shoulders. He doesn't even want to be the leader of Japan. He just more wants to live and be influential and then make sure that the heir of his friend, the Taiko, is raised to power at the appropriate time. So all of that's really coming out now. And because of like this back and forth where we don't know who's really in the right or wrong, Tornaga has one of his clansmen who gets slighted at the fact that they're just like talking shit basically and he steps out of line this is who i mentioned earlier Todoyoshi, not too important because he's eventually going to be dead by the end of this episode he's an <laughs> idiot but this was very important to show the whole idea about sepaku and how much and sepaku is just basically i think it's just an honorable de- way of dying with the samurai sword you kill yourself all of this is like kind of being shown at a really really rapid rate but it's also like really well done like i feel like everybody got the point we know the levels of respect how important they are and we get the tradition sense all within this quick conversation that we have that sets the stage for the entire series so i thought this scene was a great way to open up and then just show some of the political back and forth that we're going to be experiencing throughout this season there's going to be a lot of stuff that we want to talk out. So one of the things I wanted to ask you guys is when the gentleman says, you know, he, he comes out of line, he starts saying, you know, you're you're betraying or uh, you're disrespecting Tornaga. And then he says, sorry. And, and what what is it called, Luke? Did you have the name of it? Sepaku? Like commits Yeah. Paku? So at first I thought that just meant like he was giving up his son, but it, it means he would be killing himself and anybody in his bloodline, like literally removing his bloodline. Not allowing his name to pass on to future generations because he disrespected his his liege. Right, Usually. okay, wow. Which is, again, <laughs> crazy. going to yeah. what you guys were saying about honor and everything. And I really don't want to do this too often. I don't want to talk about Game of Thrones too much, but mm-hmm. Tornaga is really reminding me, duty, honor, Ned Stark. Yep. You know, all I care about is making sure the air... Even though he doesn't really, with the whole Joffrey thing, we're not going to get into that kind of stuff. But he just seems like somebody that they're trying to make look bad so that they can just push him out when we know. And they, I mean, they could swerve us, but we know from what we've seen that he is full on duty, honor, freaking badass. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like he has a really close relationship with Tycho. And, you know, spoilers for the episode two, but, you know, the Tycho actually originally said, I want to give it to you. You know, mm-hmm. I want you to be the sole regent. And Ned Stark, like, he says, well, I don't know about that. He's very, very smart. He knows. And whether the Tycho was testing him or not, 
he already had his plan for the five regions and uh, Tornagas is you're freaking smart. Now, mm-hmm. the, the one thing I will say that he a little bit differs on Ned Stark. And I'm not going to say Ned Stark's not smart, but Tornaga has like the schemes. Like mm-hmm. he knows what he's doing to do the power plays. Like Ned didn't care enough for any kind of power plays. He's keeping himself alive with the heir's mother, but also we'll find out with John Blackthorne. That's a good question because they said, you know, you have seven days to return Lady Oshida. Now, if Tornaga actually kidnapped Lady Oshida, I feel like it would be different because that would be him like making a power play. But I feel like he's genuinely just telling holding the truth her. and being like, I don't even know if he's holding her or if she I was think like, she's hey, just like, I want to be with my sister while she gives birth. And right. he's just like, right. yeah, go, that- go do it. Like, mm-hmm. That's what I mean. I feel like it just seems that way. And he's just right. okay with it because it kind of gives him a little bit of a power play. But yeah. Keeping him alive. I perfectly 100% agree with you. Mm-hmm. When in doubt, dude, trust Tordaga's head on his shoulders because he's, he's the guy that I'm going to be following till the grave, you know? Talking about head on shoulders after I just said Ned Stark. <laughs> I hope that guy stays alive, man. I hope Tordaga stays alive, man. <laughs> this second almost second in command of Toranaga, Hiramatsu, they kind of go more into his relationship. Like, Todoyoshi is his son. Is What is it? His son, right? Uh, Todoyoshi is is married to his granddaughter. Granddaughter. Okay, so it's his grandson. Uh, by whatever. Grandson-in-law, so, I guess, or whatever. It would yeah, be. right. But yes, yes, gotcha. yes. So Toranaga says, hey, everything that Todoyoshi did, I know Fuji is your granddaughter i will make sure she stays alive too but hiramatsu is even able to go in toranaga's place and talk for him like right in this next scene we get he's like mm-hmm. hey i have to stay here i'm a prisoner in osaka but you have to go to ajiro to look mm-hmm. for this barbarian ship that they got a note for so it's just crazy a lot of trust oh my god that'd be so cool to be i would i'm i automatically love hiramatsu just because it's yeah. toranaga's boy He's an absolute beast. I just, I guess he's like the top clansman or the top general, I think is kind of what he's referred to. He's one, he's both an advisor and a friend and a general, all the above. He's the man. Uh, and it, yes. after my second watch through, I found myself like riding for this guy. So there's going to be yeah. a lot to come from him because of his family tree and how important it is to Tornaga's household. So we'll keep talking about him. But Paul, you laid it out perfectly. This, I thought the writing in this scene was genius because it happens directly after the stakes of this world are really set. We're, we're finding out like this guy's going to kill himself and his whole family just because he disrespected his liege. And then we find out that at that insane level of a crime, Tornaga is still willing to um, excuse one of his friend's uh, granddaughters so i felt that did a lot for just tornaga like showing the stakes and the tension and like what they're willing to do and how important the leaders are all of it was like really well done and meticulously put in that order to kind of give the audience like the right vibe of like how everything's going to really be so overall hiromatsu's got my stamp of approval he seems like he's going to be a homie go even in more of a culture shock like right in the scene where fuji has the knife to her throat holding her baby todoyoshi saying Mm -hmm. oh i'm your husband listen to me Mariko comes in and she says, I know you feel the pull of death. Like, Mm -hmm. I know you want its mercy. I know you have no purpose after your husband has just tarnished your family. But believe me, if Toranaga gave you a purpose, then 
you must follow that. And it's like, oh my God, you want the release of death? You want to like follow mm -hmm. your family? It is so crazy that that's what they yearn for and they don't just because it's duty. So it's and insane. That is like the next direct scene in this bucket. So we'll keep talking about it. What's even better is in hindsight, after rewatching this scene, you know how important this is to Mariko as well, because her father had to go through this whole yes. process and she was the one that was spared in that situation. So at first I was thinking that she's just doing her duty to get this done for Toronaga, but in hindsight, it's it wasn't like that at all. She actually felt empathetic towards the whole thing. So this was a really good scene and Lady Mariko like really grew on me the second watch and I think she's gonna be I think she's the third build character actor. So oh, she's she, gonna be big. Yeah, she's gonna be like one of the storylines that's like the the heart of the show. Yeah, and I was taking it with her character like she is tied down by the fact that she got married. She has so much potential to do things, and even her husband mm -hmm. is like, why are you doing anything outside of this house? So I feel like he's going to be a problem, a that big problem sexist, for us this man. season. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine having your child in your arms and then the father being like, yo, man, you got to give me that kid. I got to I gotta die. He's got to die just because I accidentally talked when I shouldn't have. Sorry, like... You know, it's crazy. I mean, and yeah, I wouldn't blame her for having the knife being like, you shouldn't me. Don't take my son. Mm. Like, come on. Oh, it's crazy. It's really. I could not believe what I was watching because I didn't expect that at all. I was like looking at Dave, who I watched with, and I just like, is this happening? Are we about to watch a baby get murdered in the first episode? Yeah. And the fact that they had to bring this back at the end, I was pissed because I was like, I already mentally got over that. And now yeah. I have to relive this again because it freaks me out the idea that they're really going to end their whole bloodline and then Fuji's just going to be alive. I don't know if that character is going to be important going forward because she is the favorite uh, granddaughter of Hiramatsu. So she might be a, a, a character that's important. But yeah, there was a this was emotional. Another Yeah, that was that was tough. Something to add on to that scene too. At the very end, Mariko grabs her necklace, which is the cross, and I am constantly trying to figure out if Mariko really does want to follow her faith. Like I can't tell because she even has a line later on when she's talking to Tornaga saying, you know, I have more than one heart. My religion won't conflict with my duty to you and everything mm -hmm. like that. So it's just something to have in the back of your head. I can't tell. I feel like she really does want to follow the religion. Maybe it's because she doesn't have a purpose right now after her father, but crazy. Yeah. My thoughts are that 100% Paul, I think that she found religion after her father. It seems similar. The timeline seems about right. Yeah. I think she said mm -hmm. 14 years ago. I honestly think she is devout to her religion. And I can see just in my head, the wheels are turning that, you know, Blackthorn and her are going to fall in love and it's going to be Christian and Protestant and that whole thing yep. because she's going to be around him at all times because she has to translate. You can already see the little bit of attention there. Like I said, her husband's going to be a problem. She has so much more to give, and she, we're going to see how much she has to give to this show. So the last two things that happened for this bucket before we can move on to Blackthorn are we see the conversation that Tornaga has with the air. Like in the, he's like messing around. The first time you kind of see him be a little jovial, which was nice, like get that upbeat. Out. He's like playing the games or whatever. And yeah. the more important and fun conversation is when the caretaker, I don't know how important she is, but she comes in and she's somebody that has seen the relationships of Tornaga, the Taiko, all this because of how comfortable she is talking to Tornaga and the things that she goes on to say, which is definitely worth just bringing up real quick. The fact that they're both kind of like Ashido is like stepping out of line. Like, why is he trying to basically blame Tornaga and start this whole civil war? Because that's the opposite of what the Taiko stood for. And then they right. start talking about his lineage and why he's like feared among the leadership because his true 
surname is uh, Minowara, which is just like the name of the ruling class of the last time there was a shogun in Japan, which is going to be so important because he's got like the the royal, royal blood that I'm sure there's some nationalists that would be okay with him taking over as the next shogun because there hasn't been one. The title's been empty for a while and there's probably a whole faction that wants to put him into place. So this was like a really good conversation just to kind of see what... it's not all one track minded where everybody's with the council, right? There, there is this little bit of a split amongst the people. The, this was a good scene, I thought, uh, just getting that across and and bringing up his lineage and, and dropping the name of the show for the first time, which I was like, whoop. <laughs> they also he said it. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Just a crazy, crazy like act that Ashido's like, oh, yeah, Ashido's probably going to kill you and then kill the heir and then he's going to rise to power. I'm like, we were just seeing how important this heir was talking mm-hmm. about the Taiko, and this is his son. Everybody talks about the Taiko with such utmost respect, and to even say that, you know, he's just going to kill his son like it's no big deal. It's like, okay, so they're tiptoeing around everything. They're saying one thing, but in the back of their mind, they're completely ready just to kill whoever need they need to oh, step yeah. up. So it Depending is, on which region it is, Paul, like... Obviously, we find out that certain ones care about the money from the Christian supporters. Ashido just seems like he wants power. I mean, mm-hmm. whether he respected the Taiko or not, he didn't have that scene like Tornaga did to show that they were any kind of friends or anything, but he would take him out in two seconds, meaning Tornaga, the son, anybody, yep. to make sure that they become the leaders. Um, And for Shogun itself... Is that like a title that technically would be respected over Tycho if it was like re- restored? Yeah, I think is that it's what more she was like, trying to say, like God Emperor, like yeah, it's the right. highest That's level I, that they say that a mortal can achieve. So it's That's like something I that That's yeah. What I took I, it. And I think there's a chance that maybe it's because the Tycho didn't come from the right bloodline. Like he could only escalate to like a certain level, and I'm sure the politics of that like are pretty defined, but we just don't know because they haven't shown it or told us yet. But that's what right. my understanding is right now. Like, I don't think the last Tycho could have become a Shogun. I think there right. needs to be more there. No, I believe it is the the bloodline, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. So last scene for this bucket, which doesn't need any conversation because we covered it and we can move over to John Blackthorne, is just Mariko being summoned by Toronaga at the end of the episode. And they're talking about her translating abilities. And we already covered like her backstory with her father having to deal with the seppaku that Fuji has to deal with now and how it's similar and he's trying to just guide her a little bit and then the takeaway is that she's going to work as like the translator to help deal with the barbarian John so we can leave that because it's going to be more interesting when we talk about the beginning of episode two I want to skip over to the John Blackthorn bucket because this guy man like he I went back and forth like is this guy have too many hidden motivations like is he actually evil is he gonna be a good character like is he I don't know I couldn't really get a grasp on him but after watching it again like I really like John, and I don't know if I'm settling on Blackthorn or John. I'm testing it out live here. I think Blackthorn's cooler because shout out Stormlight Archives and the Brand Sanderson world right yeah, there. Totally. But this guy gets set up as basically an Englishman who is working on a Dutch boat, and he has all these motivations, and we can break that down as as we want. But the bottom line is that the crew is in shambles, and they're all going to die. Like they lost their whole fleet, and then they end up stumbling into Japan and being caught by the soldiers. That's like the first, I think, five minutes of the show. So there's some things there. Um, and then we're shouting out Peaky Blinders characters. So we're shouting out Uncle Charlie, who is the original captain before John had, takes over. Yeah, right. before he blows his own head off. Mm-hmm. Just 
wild to see the absolute ruin of men that they have become. You know, they mm-hmm. you were saying they had five ships. Now there's barely one. Um, they they it's were like talking Don about, Creek. Yeah, seriously, they <laughs> are like starving. They have scurvy, all that other stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Talking about how they traveled through the uh, Magellan Strait, and I had to look that up because I didn't realize what it was. But it is so important. It's literally just a sea route in southern Chile that is considered so important because one, it's way quicker. You can literally go through the land. It is a series of mm-hmm. bodies of water that if you follow them correctly, you can cut going south down around South America completely. And I, I can't imagine how valuable that was. They even go to say because they can duck other Portugal bases and stuff like that by going through the Straits. So one, the fact that they were able to navigate through enemy territory like that, you know, the Erasmus is completely destroyed, but John is still able to find the white sand on the bottom. He can't read the stars, otherwise he would. Like, he is so intelligent in a land where everybody's dumb. It's amazing. If you were talking about going back and forth, I friggin' loved him from the get, and unless he becomes (laughs) a real dickbag, I I think he's gonna be my guy. Like, he's so charismatic for being starving and dead it's unbelievable would you like to call him john blackthorn snow i was thinking about <laughs> calling him jb honestly jb is not bad dude we'll settle on it by the end of this episode we're all yeah. tied out what flows the best but i can't believe you don't remember magellan straight from just the different high school and middle school history class that's new to you would miss uh, graham it, fail you yeah well <laughs> i didn't Really do well and all. I feel all like those. everybody has a Miss Graham teacher, dude. Oh, hated her, but well, hope she, hopefully she's not <laughs> listening. So, John Blackthorn, JB, how, what are we gonna go with here? I kind of like JB, Paul. Um, Cosmo Jarvis is doing it for me. I mean, I loved him as Barney and Peaky Blinders. I really don't think I remember him from anything else that I've watched, but I really like his acting in the first two episodes here, and he has a lot of actors to work with. When he's speaking with Mariko, when he's speaking with Tornaga, when he's speaking with just the entire crew that has his entire crew and then everyone who has him prisoner, he has different scene partners and he's killing it. And I mean, they're all killing it, but he's killing it with them. And to your point, Luke, you know, whether you're saying does he have does he have his own agenda? Well, it kind of reminds me of the Last Kingdom here. We have Christians here. They didn't talk about Protestants in the Last Kingdom, but, you know, it'd be like Christian and pagan, but Christians, Protestant. John Blackthorne is Protestant, so he wants to get rid of all the Christians. Mm-hmm. He's going to be on the side of Tornaga for now because it seems that the Christians are trying to get rid of Tornaga. Yep. So to us, it seems like the Christians are going to be the antagonists of this season. So far, Mariko is Christian, and that's cool, but it seems like everyone we're meeting that's Christian is going to be an antagonist. Like if Father so- Martin... See, I think Father Martin has some redeeming qualities. I also think Rodriguez do. does, but he might be too far gone because he's working with the Spaniards. He's already like betraying his comp- his country. So there's things there for those two characters, but I agree. They're painting it out to be those are the more antagonistic characters. And it won't be cut and dry. Like we no, always say not. that. It's not going to be black and white. Father Martin definitely has things that we see in these two episodes that make you think okay he's not pure evil obviously he's not a mm-hmm. bad guy the translation he does it 100 percent. 
and he's speaking with with John Blackthorne, and they are enemies, and he's saying, I will not bias this. I will speak the truth. And Mariko, you know, obviously we'll talk about this in a little bit, but Mariko confirms it. So he obviously does have redeeming qualities. Yeah, for sure. The- it could be Luke that he knows Mariko's there and would sandbag him if he did. It's look possible. Like the POS. It's possible, but you I feel like I, mean? I trust her moral compass, and she really trusts him. Because it's, I because, don't know though, because she's also anti. Because John, he's JB, the priest. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. Yeah, it depends. Like it's almost like the scene where Blackthorn JB is talking to Mariko, and she says, "Don't speak out of turn." But he's basically saying, "Like, listen, I know you're Christian. I know you're devout, but just think about their agenda too. Think about what they want." And you know, she obviously pushed them aside for now. But yeah, maybe he's telling us too. He's saying, "Yo, you like Father Martin." <laughs> We'll <laughs> it's obvious by this point through the show, like the whole idea about the translator is going to be so important because not everybody mm-hmm. knows Japanese and like there's got to be ways to communicate with these barbarians and all this thing and the Portuguese like that's going to be so important. I really like that plot point. Um, and it really comes out in John's first encounter with the Japanese who, who are the ones that capture his boat. Like you see all the all the crewmen are freaking out. They don't know what to do. He's the self-appointed leader. They don't know how to communicate to each other. The leader of, uh, I think, I believe at this point it's Omi, who is going to be the nephew of a very important clansman here under Toronaga. And he's known as, and this is a name that is the hardest for me to to really remember. So I forgive me if I if I mispronounce it every once in a while, but... Yabushigi and then Omi, his nephew. These are going to be very two key players under the Toronaga household that aren't directly like 100% riders for Toronaga. And you see that throughout these two episodes. But in order to get that information, we have the first obstacle of the translation. And at this point, we don't have a good translator. So Omi just grabs a random dude off the side and was like, yo, you know, some broken Portuguese, like, tell me what he's saying. And they go back and forth and it ends with a nice little, uh, what, what? I guess a body artist, shout out Spartacus, like pissing scene right yeah. on his face because of the disrespect. Like all of yeah. this is happening and he's really just having this rude cultural awakening. Like he's not going to be able to boss these guys around. He's not going to be able to sell his bullshit story about them being merchants. Like they have cannons on the ship. They have all these weapons. So we're finding all this mm-hmm. stuff out. I think it's great. And then Omi decides that he called his uncle Yabushigi to come and actually like do a full interrogation here. And just like seeing how like split between the different religions like all these people in the village like revere whoever's the leader like the one guy comes up and prays to john and gets his head cut off because he's he's a prisoner like you don't do that like that is all happening within like a couple minutes and i just thought it was really just well done like i'm gonna say for almost every scene because like spoiler this is one of my freaking favorite two episodes ever of just like a start to a political drama like this like yeah all of this is so well done and yeah so just give me what's your guys first takes on omi and i guess before we get to the actual interrogation full on with Yabushiki later. Omi was obsessed. Well, he's not obsessed, but he, his mother, he was speaking to his mother saying, hey, your father's died. You need to step up. If you provide, you may get your own fief right now. So he's mm-hmm. not trying to fuck up. He's trying to become like a made man with the ter- territories to rule. So yep. he knows that his uncle yabu i might call him yabu because it's a little bit shorter is a powerful man he is respected he is right now in charge because you know toronaga's gone they get into it later yabu told toronaga not to go because he knew he was gonna die and everything like that so he's preparing for this battle of control Mm -hmm. and it was like all right you know what i'm just gonna be ready to lead yeah omi omi's a little He's eager, but maybe a little too quick on the sword and 
quick on the piss, <laughs> if I'm not. Dude, honest. clean cut though. It was just a whoosh, just like yeah. right off. I was not expecting yeah. that at all. Yeah. Are we talking Yabashigi yet or not yet? Yeah, let's just open it up to that because yeah. this kind of leads right into that conversation. And this is where we actually have a more full conversation because of the Portuguese priest that is a translator who obviously hates John because he recognizes him as the enemy and as a Protestant. So it's like a broken translation that's going back and forth. But I thought Yabashigi came off as pretty competent here, like asking about proof and not just taking it at face value and understanding some of the body language that John was doing, like with throwing the cross on the ground, which was genius. That was the only way he was going to be able to directly interact with him. But yeah, what, what was your read on that scene, Jimmy? Yeah. So I just thought it was so interesting. Everything you were saying about the translation, like they're literally these prisoners from the boat are in this pit and I guess it's Omi speaking and he's saying, just bring them all up, bring them all up, not one at a time. and they don't know. They think that he's saying one at a time and, and Blackthorn's like, I'm coming. And they're like, no, everybody. And it, it's like, and it's not hostile. It's, I mean, mm. it might turn out, it might turn hostile anyway, but at first when they're saying come up, it's not hostile. It's just saying, come on, come up. We need to talk. And they don't know what it's saying. So it turns hostile and then Blackthorn comes up and they don't, and then it obviously gets worse. But to me, Yabashigi, he's definitely competent. Now, to me, he's like, everything you need to know, not everything, but a lot that you need to know about him so far was taught before he even gets to Osaka. Mm -hmm. You know, you learn that he's a schemer. He's definitely a schemer. He's like Ishida where he wants to become, he just wants to grow his power. But you learn a lot where Omi is told that, that Yabashigi did not even come to the village when his brother died. He wasn't there for the funeral of his brother. But he's there because there's probably a power play to be had, mm -hmm. right? So that's obviously something. The competence is there. He he does seem rational in certain ways, like you said, Luke. And also, you know, a little bit later when we get to still before they get to Osaka, but when it's dealing with the boat, he has plans and it's against Toronaga pretty much. He's saying Toronaga's a dead man. I don't need to worry about him anymore. And then when number two comes over, he's at first like oh, shit, like, I don't want to do this. But then with honor, you have to. And our boy pulls the sword like, oh, you're not honoring our boy. Um, mm -hmm. But again, you know that he's not fully with him. Yeah, totally. He, like you were saying, he was planning as if Tornago was no longer. A yeah, well, you know mm -hmm. he's playing multiple sides because of Ashido in episode two. He had direct orders to wait in Edo for Tornaga. So I don't know if he is breaking those orders because... He is scheming, like you're saying, or breaking those orders because he believes they're dead orders, right? They're, they're orders right. of a dead man, so it means nothing anymore. I think mm -hmm. he's smart, like we were all saying. He's able to not just kill this barbarian right away. He knows there's value there. He knows there's so much value in the ship. Like, even Omi was talking about, you know, the change of the seat of power and how, what good 500 firearms will do and everything like that. So, you know... In the back of your mind, you know, everybody wants to be king, right? Everybody wants to hop yeah. up. Um, Unless you're Tornaga, dude. Mm. Unless you're a good guy like Tornaga. The last he was thing handed I, it to him, he said no. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to say about just the Yabu and the translator and John Blackthorn scene was it really just showed you that every Portuguese priest or Portuguese man in general that John's going to come across immediately like hatred in between those two like they do not get along and you know the, the the translator the priest is saying you know pirate bad pirate kill pirate he's dead here he needs to die so immediately 
you know that Yabushigi isn't John Blackthorne's friend, but he might be his best way out. Any Portuguese that he sees is his real enemy. Yabushigi must be his way out of this death trap he's in right now. Yeah, yeah and it was it was a good takeaway because I like that these evil guys or or some I'll say evil, but like they're they're not one dimensional. Like they're saying. They're looking for proof. They're they're trying to talk it out and actually think through the implications. It doesn't feel as one note. And I thought that came across well here. And then we get even more. I, I love Yabu, by the way. Can I? Can we full send for Fuck that yeah, one? Yeah, Yabu. Yabu. <laughs> Yabu seems easy. <laughs> it's like send. if his name was Robert and he's calling him Rob. Like it's the same thing, right? Yeah. So Yabu has these two quick scenes. Nothing to really dissect. I just think it's funny. Is the boiling one, one of, of the, the people yeah one of the prisoners alive is wild shout out to one piece again because wow like that was i don't want to spoil anything for jimmy there but there is like a i didn't know how like important of like a imagery of like boiling people alive as a form of torture or execution is in japan but it's it was shown in one piece at one point so like i guess it's like really like a cultural thing at the time and then we also have that oh. weird scene with kiku the courtesan where mm-hmm. to me, I was thinking, was this just like the birth of like cuckoldism in Japan? Like, I don't know what the <laughs> hell was going on there, but tell me what you guys took from that. I don't know. I'm just going to go ahead and say that that the death thing was interesting where he's like <laughs> waiting for death. And he wants to say like, you know, the guy was about to die. I am letting him die. I want to see what happens at that moment. And he says like nothing again, nothing. I thought that's an interesting character trait, something to him. But I don't know what to say about the sex scene stuff. You, <laughs> if listeners, if you have any any context of this, throw it at us. No, let's get the uh, Paul sexiest scene in here. Sorry, take that out. But go yeah. ahead, Paul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The only thing I got from that is either one Yabu doesn't have interest in courtesans, or maybe he got mutilated in a war and he can't use his junk, and that's why he's just kind of watching her like touch this other guy. I had no idea. It also went on to say the courtesans are just, they know they got to be out there. They got they got to be intriguing in a way and do something that they've never seen before. Yeah. You know, we were just talking about Blue-Eyed Samurai. That's all I'm thinking about right now and, and all <laughs> of that. So I thought that was wild. The Boiling Alive scene, I fucking hated. I got yeah. physically I nauseous. I showed it. They, Dude, they yeah. showed so much of it. And... Yeah. Uh, the only thing, the only interesting thing was Yabu talking to Omi the the following day, I believe. He was like, oh, wow, you know, you know, he was stronger than most Christians, you know, give me a poem about it. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow, okay, that's, that's something I didn't see coming. But Yabu really respected it and really liked it. And, and he thought there was beauty behind, like, he's looking for the beauty in the moment before death. Couldn't find it, mm-hmm. but there is still a beauty there, you know? So he's, yeah. he's such a complicated character. And yeah, I'm excited see where it goes i am interested in him is what i'll say like i don't think he's gonna get redeemed probably he might be too far gone not enough episodes to really do that but i do think he's an interesting character and i like that there's somebody in toronaga's household that isn't fully 100 for toronaga it's just another interesting perspective but let's keep moving along here we're almost at the end of the first episode and it'll be easy to flow right into the next one the next day omi gets rewarded for for his help in all of this but more importantly now i can say it the homie Hiromatsu shows up and he's there to make sure that there's no scheming going on with this foreigner in the barbarian ship. He's like, all right, give it all to us. And luckily Yabu 
like complies because he seemed like he was going to push back a little bit or maybe lie about the money if they didn't already know. But there was some sort of spy network that made them have the knowledge that there's all this stuff in there. So before we can like, I guess, move on to Rodriguez, like we also find out that Tornaga is known as the leader of foreign affairs. Include that, and that's just like a blanket term for any sort of political international conversations with anybody from a different country. So that's important because that's going to keep coming up. But I want to keep going here. Uh, let's talk about Rodriguez because John gets like all cleaned up, whatever, and they put him in the nice kimono, like all of that stuff happens. He's got, he's being pr- he's being taken care of to some level, unlike the yeah. other prisoners. They go to the port and they meet this Spaniard named Rodriguez who speaks both Spanish, uh, Portuguese, Japanese. Like he, he speaks it all. He's he's clearly been ingrained in the culture enough to now he's trusted by them. And like they trusted him to take John, who's like a valuable prisoner, to the boat. And what their whole idea is that they're going to bring John to Osaka, the capital, to actually talk to uh, Tornaga because he wants to interrogate him himself and find out like all the good information. So let's just open it up to basically this is going to be a bigger conversation, but just like all of it like when when they get onto the ship john has his moment of shining as a as a actual pilot the name of the episode and like you know driving the the ship and saving them basically all the way through them searching for rodriguez and yabu actually going down and saving him before he kind of gains john's respect at the end which that was a really cool moment for me but this is just like that last chunk of the rest of episode one so rodriguez opinions and then we could take it from there rodriguez I don't know like how I feel about him in the story, but watching him, he is without a doubt one of my favorite characters. He the has by far. He's got lines yeah. for days, and like mm-hmm. my favorite quote of the episode, he's telling John how to say sorry, how to bow, and everything like that. And he's like, "Go shikudasari, go shikudasari to all the shitting samas." And I was yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. "Fuck!" He's just like <laughs> shitting on them right to their face. But he knows that they that. don't really know because he he's the he's the language guy. He's a he's a translator. He's a barrier in between everything. So I thought he's amazing. Immediately just grabs John, goes, Oh, is my crew all right? He fucking yells back like in Japanese. He's like, Oh, good news. They only killed one guy. The rest of your crew is still prisoner. <laughs> he's just so funny. He's like, Where am I going? Oh, Toranaga. What's he want with me? I don't know. Tickle your balls. Like he is so yeah. funny. I love yeah. him so much. And you know, the scene where he goes overboard, um, first of all, terrifying to look, be on a wooden ship with all that storm going on. But yeah. but yeah, John just absolutely shining with commanding the crew, being a real captain. Um, but he was also showing his knowledge about how to navigate and everything along with that. Mm-hmm. Even quick thinking, seeing Rodriguez go overboard and throwing the wood. The paddle, yeah. Yeah, the or the, yeah, yeah. I, he, he just so much happened in such a short scene. I thought he and shined so well. Before you jump in, Jimmy, uh, that what you just mentioned, Paul, about him showing his his captain abilities and like why he's valuable. There was a really small moment where Yabu jumps on and starts rowing himself because after he like realizes like he gained his own form of respect for John in that moment, mm-hmm. which John doesn't reciprocate until the end of the episode. But I thought that was like a really cool just moment between the two because Yabu doesn't have too much experience with foreigners and like John quickly gaining his attention and respect like this was a cool moment. Yeah, agreed. And you know someone of his position meeting Yabu, he's not going to touch that oar unless he has to or unless he respects the right. person who's telling him to do it. And obviously shit's hitting the fan and you respect John at that point when he's saying row, you know? And it's crazy to me when uh, Rodriguez is saying, like, go down there, tell him, tell him to row. 
I would have been like, well, how do you say it? Because <laughs> he's yeah, yelling yeah. row at him. And it's like, yeah. I don't know if they know that just because it's so, you know. But um, he learns also, it, though, by the end. You saw that, right? Yeah, he does. Yeah, he yeah, does yeah. end up saying it. Yeah. And then, um, you know, Rodriguez, lost alumni, compelling as hell. I can't stop looking at the screen when he's on there. Paul, you nailed it. But I was about to say, like, damn, can you imagine being like someone on, that is on a ship at all times and you can't swim? And then you guys would be like, yeah, One Piece, idiot. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so true. But I mean, seriously, I, it still makes me go, Jesus, like you're in the middle of that crazy storm or he asked John, can you swim? And he's like, yeah, you can't. And he's like, oh, I'd rather rather die fast, you know, if I'm going to fall in. But <laughs> unbelievable scene, great scene. And then when it comes to the cliff, Yabu gets points there. He does. I mean, yeah. at first you can tell, you can tell that at, it's Yabu's just like, all right, this guy's shitting on me. Like he, it's you know, he's telling his man, like you, you know what he's doing. He wants me to do it because he, you know, and the point where he has the sword and he's gonna make the decision, you know, he's gonna take his own life or he's gonna let the the water take him. Yeah, you, know, you can see it in um, Cosmo, I believe, right? Cosmo Jarvis is the actor uh, for JB's eyes, you know, when he's watching him. He's like, geez, like that's another one of that. That's where he starts getting the respect. And then, you know, he finishes the task. You know, he's about to do it. The rope hits his shoulder and then he sees that the, the task can be done. So he finishes the task. And yeah, I mean, there mm-hmm. is a mutual respect there. And they, even though it does seem like, Yabu's going to be antagonistic, and he does have certain qualities, obviously. JB and Yabu, to your point, Paul, I mean, they're going to work together. Whether they're fully homies or not, I, I don't, I'm not going to call Yabu a homie, but, I'm, but to, to those two together, he saved them twice. Mm-hmm. He saved his life twice. So and they're I, gonna, I don't know about trust, but they're going to work together. John's reaction, you, you, I mean, you killed it. It was... John's reaction to Yabu's almost senpuku. Sipaku, uh, yeah. yeah, like Sipaku, yeah. Um, talk about a culture shock again. Like mm-hmm. he couldn't imagine what he just saw. He's like, "Why did he just do that? Oh my god, he was going to choose his own way out." So there was so much respect or awe or unbelieving. I don't know what it was, but you know, I mean, and then he bows to him. Yeah, yes, exactly. that's the first yeah, he, time he does it, right? Like yeah. to anybody. Yeah. yeah. So it just, I love that cliff scene, man. So much happened without being said. It was nuts. Mm-hmm. And then just to take it home, like after the rescue of Rodriguez and we were finished with that, uh, the cliff side, we find out that Rodriguez found the captain's log that basically details all the crimes that they were doing. And he says to him, I'm going to give this to the Portuguese. I'm just giving you the warning because you basically just saved my life. Yeah. And of course, right away, they start going at it. He whips out the gun and says, you know, like, don't touch me. Like, this is going to happen, which I didn't see it going that way because I thought Rodriguez was going to be pretty grateful. But mm. that's a something we could talk about if we want. But then what Rodriguez ends up saying after all of John's like barbarian and savage talk, he says, go up there and look at this capital that we're about to roll into. You're telling me that your part of the world is the peak of civilization. Go up there and look and experience. And it's just yeah. like this kind of cool, magical moment. You're going over the city. Did not realize how big it is or you can have that many mm. people in the 1600s in one spot. Like That is an insane visual that we got to see with like a really cool camera overview. And then like at the same time, 
you have Rodriguez's voiceover and he says, what kind of man do you think wields power in a place like this? And that's like very Game of Thrones-esque. Like they're talking about like the double think and the double, like all of this. So I just thought Mm -hmm. it was a masterful way to end the episode or just like this storyline. But of course they need to throw in the freaking baby murder again while this is happening and kill my vibes. But besides that, it was a great end of the first episode. Mm -hmm. Him just finally seeing all of Osaka and... Um, bowing to Tornaga at the very end. Um, it was nuts. You know, uh, real quick, Rodriguez is kind of narrating as we see Osaka, and it's his line about, you know, it's, say, it's, it's a saying that people have three hearts, you know, uh, one in the mouth for the world to see, one in the chest just for just your friends, and one buried deep where no one can find. And I'm just curious if that was foreshadowing that we're seeing these people's first and second hearts, maybe, but may- there is a third one deep down with their true intentions that maybe we will get in the end. So exactly. Um, I love this first episode. I was obsessed, obsessed with it. Last I checked, it was an 8.9 out of 10 on IMDb for a pilot. That is more than you can expect. And I would even rate it higher than an 8.9. It's like 9.5 to me. I couldn't have asked for more from a pilot. And it is sad that there's this might only be one season that kind of dampers a little bit of how much I want them to focus on the world building, but at the same time, it needs to be done, and it's done masterfully here. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agreed. Ready for episode two? Let's do it. So episode two, Servants of Two Masters, starts in 1599, a year before the events of like our main storyline here, and the whole purpose of this scene is to show us the last days of the Tycho, the previous Tycho. He's literally on his deathbed, surrounded by his family, surrounded by his friends, all of his his clansmen are there, like Tornaga's like front and center, just listening to this man's last words and him and him saying his goodbyes. So it's like a very emotional scene. And you find out a lot about the Tycho right away. And the most important thing is he also had a good head on his shoulders where he was spending his entire ruling lifespan trying to stop the inner fighting between the different clans. And that's just not something you necessarily see in the turn of the 16th or 17th century or whatever it is. So this goes a long way and it really shows you why Toronaga would have respected him and like had this, this mutual friendship with him. And we did cover a lot of this stuff at the top of the episode, but like the main mm-hmm. takeaways are the fact that the Taika was trying to, I don't know if it was a test or not, like Jimmy said, like offer the, the, soul regency to Toranaga who shuts it down immediately because all it's going to do is just give space for their enemies to to grow and and come together against a common enemy and he doesn't want that for himself and his family and he also doesn't want that for the air because it seems like he truly cares about the air so Mm -hmm. there was this was just like a really good scene and i think you see some of the councilmen in the background but like this is also him presenting the idea of the the council of the five that are going to lead um Japan. And I'm going to use this second, I guess, to give you, we we mentioned the other councilman, but I'll give you the quick breakdown that we get later in the episode so we can just kind of talk high level about the leaders of current day Japan. So the five councilmen that the Taiko is suggesting that that run the country after he passes until his heirs of age are obviously the number one's going to be Tornaga. He wants him to be a part of it. And it seems like he's the outsider compared to the other four from what we saw from the first episode. So the four that we're going to probably forget most of their names, because I don't know how often they're going to be in it, but the main leader, who we're definitely not, he's going to be a big player, is Ishido, who is the caretaker of the castle, I think is what they is what they say, they go on to say about him. So he's going to be the main face of the council and all the scheming, but the good news is it doesn't seem like they're a, uh, a front that's united because there's two 
Christian councilman, and that's going to mm-hmm. be Kiyama and then Ono. And Ono is, he was a, he turned Christian after he got a really, I think they said leprosy. So he, he almost yeah. died and like a health scare caused him to turn to this new religion. So he's always like covered up and he's always like hiding and stuff. Kiyama, the other Christian, it's heavily implied that he's only taken up that religion because of greed and ambition and like how he can use it to get more power. So those two are right. going to be their own faction. And then the one that we haven't gotten much of through the first two episodes is Sugiyama, who is there because he's part of the richest family in Japan. So the five of these guys are going to be the councilmen of the regions that take over and just run it. All of this is sort of established right here. And that's why I think it works really well after you kind of have the culture introduction from episode one to actually getting like the setup of the, of like what the Taiko wanted. Question for you guys. So Right when we see Tycho dying, you know, the, the whole procession is kind of leaving. And before he asked Tornaga to stay, there you see a priest come up and say, you know, he must receive yeah. the sacrament or miss out on God's kingdom. Two mm-hmm. things. One, dude, the sack from Midnight Mass. You remember yeah. that? Yeah. You're the just sack like, Midnight back. Mass, dude. You need that yeah. sack. If <laughs> you guys hear or remember that one and you were here for that, just you're a real one, so you're a Benchtown Yeah, homie. if you're a Benchtown TV fan and you li- listen to our Midnight Mass coverage, we love you forever, mm-hmm. but yeah, the sacrament, the sack. <laughs> so, uh, but second off, so, like, this whole Christianity in Japan is new, right? It's a new idea. I don't know how new, but it's like this priest has to explain the rules of the sacraments to, like, everybody. So I'm just trying to figure out... Like, yeah, it is an important part of Japan and its rulers and following it. But if it seems like it's just so new, is this? The information that we got is that it comes out later that Portugal basically had ownership over Japan since the late 1400s. So ever since then, they've been like the sole traders with Japan in the world. So I'm assuming. And then we also find out that like the whole idea was that they were going to spread their, their uh, the the Portugal rulers want to spread christianity to any lands that don't already have it so i think it's like Mm -hmm. kind of been like more than a century but at the same time that's very new in terms of a religion yeah and it's seemed to me that yes he's allowed to be there because whether he's a priest or or not i guess he was a priest but they're obviously not christian meaning the taiko and they uh, they push him away when he's saying that like yes you're allowed to be here and talk about your Christian faith, but he's not Christian, so get out of our face, kind of. <laughs> mm-hmm. Any other thing you wanted to add, Jimmy, about that early scene? No, I was just going to say that it, it is the perfect way to introduce us to these five regents. It's a just great writing because mm-hmm. we have the world building in episode one, and you know they're they're lightly introducing us to certain characters, but without just being like, "Hey, here's five regents, and here are who they are." It's explained in a way where he's explaining how he's going to appoint them to Tornaga and Tornaga saying, damn, you're dying and you're smart as shit still. You're still, you know, sharp as hell. So I just thought that was very well done, giving us a nice exposition and a nice world building situation here without it just being thrown in our face. Like, here it is. Like, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it works my, well um, as the second episode. Yeah, so... My favorite quote of this episode was Tycho's line to Tornaga right here. And it's super touching. It seems kind of basic at first, but it's super touching. And that was the man who stands at the greatest height is the loneliest in the realm. And 
it has a lot that you can dig through just in that. But then he goes on to say, you know, I need you to protect my son from his enemies and his friends. Like there is so much danger surrounding him right now. He is in one of the most dangerous spots, even though he's just a kid, he's still an heir to one of the most powerful seats. His friends will kill him. So I can't imagine how it feels to be the highest in the realm. Like that is, mm-hmm. that is a, a crazy, crazy just thought. So I love this line and it really illustrates how much the Tycho dying will disrupt the world. Lonely at the top, baby. Very lonely. <laughs> so let's mo- start moving through the episode after we skip back to 1600. And what happens originally is we kind of kick off with Rodriguez and he's talking to the other Portuguese priests and some important information comes out in this conversation where Rodriguez is happy to just give him the logbook that's going to implicate JB for all these crimes. But the priests themselves are thinking like two levels deep where they're saying that I think Martin actually goes and and shows that Tornaga is like a very thorough man. Like he puts respect on him. He's like, he's not just going to accept we tell him what's in here. He's going to want a detailed translation of this book. And what it's going to do is tell him about all of our scheming that's going on in the geopolitics world right now. And there's a chance that it's going to really backfire on our country. Japan could start either going to war with us or like opening up trade to other countries, lowering our take of the, of, of all of this trade. So it's basically them being selfish because they're, they're, they're money hungry and they don't want to share Japan with the world because it's such a lucrative trade opportunity that they have. So Rodriguez is like saying, is on team yo come on like be a good person and and just turn him over like john b jb has to freaking has to go like he's an enemy of the state so that's just kind of like that beginning part that we have before we still continue following martin father martin and him going into the throne room with tornaga and jb just to actually work as a uh, translator while mariko's there supposed to be listening and double checking that he's not being corrupt and actually translating the truth so i think we can just open the conversation for that whole scene that whole dialogue because a lot's going on there ishido eventually shows up but i liked this scene a lot because anytime tornaga's on the screen I, i like it just seeing how truthful and honest martin is just translating i loved him off the bat you know he is like a bad guy, quote unquote, because he's you know with, yeah. he's Portuguese. He's the one that wants to kill our boy JB and and the whole thing with they're like secretly trying to rule the world and everything like that. But I can't, I'm going to keep calling him Martin too, not Martin. <laughs> I love uh, that. That's Martin. why I was laughing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, because he's just he's honest to who he is. Like he, he just he wants to. It seems like he's actually trying to follow his religion. And also his relationship with Mariko is really interesting. You see right away, he's like, oh, I'm always fine if Lady Marie is here. Um, mm-hmm. So that's interesting. Uh, they almost seem like real love interests, like real close. I don't know how that's going to happen. They got more scenes coming up. But this translation scene scene was nuts. I couldn't imagine the absolute pressure that JB was feeling. And then especially when Ashida walks in and mm-hmm. Martin is like, dude, shut up. This is Tornaga, mm-hmm. your captain. Bow quick. Biggest enemy. Bow quick. Bow yeah. quick. Mm-hmm. Bow quick. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think it's very interesting and I want to have the conversation with Martin, baby. Is he what Paul says or was is he what I was thinking well, that I alluded to early in the first episode where 
is he being this honest outwardly because he knows that Mariko is there to bust his ass if he's not honest? Or is he actually showing us that he is honest? I'm on team Paul right, right there where I think Martin's just a good dude. I think he's just, he's going to follow so, religion to a fault. So you just, you think he's a good dude and you just think that his orders are to make sure the shipments are going and like when he has a scene with Tornaga later and he's trying to get the stamp of approval and all that kind of stuff. To us, he's against Tornaga, so we say, eh, we don't like the guy, but we do like him, I guess, but antagonistic in a way he's against Tornaga, but he's still a good guy. You know, it depends on the viewpoint is what you're going for. Yeah, it's tough because then when you take into account the black ship and like all that, he is still riding for Portugal. Like he's trying to get things done for them, but I don't think he would like cross lines that would compromise his faith. I think he, and especially like he generally likes Mariko thinks she was the prize student of his, like, I don't think like he was just showing up for Mariko. I think like he's living his ideals and she kind of respects him at that way too. And I think she would have something to say about it if he showed any signs of sketchiness, which I don't think he has yet. I'm yeah. I'm team Father so Martin is the best as the best uh no. Catholic or Christian. All right. Well, it looks like uh we may have lost Paul to some power outage here. We are having a storm, so I think Paul's power went out on him and we'll have this fixed for for later episodes. So me and Luke are going to ride it till the end here. So what I was going to say and I'm actually going to be coming at Paul, but Luke, you can defend him. It's funny how things are interpreted based on the lens you're watching. Like I saw Martin and I took him like how other TV shows will antagonize uh, a religious figure and make them one of the villains, you know, obviously mm-hmm. certain scenarios with like the last kingdom and other things like that. And of course there's gray everywhere with that, but I saw him as an antagonist. So like when he's talking to Mariko, I'm like, Oh, he's like buttering her up. Like he just wants her to say, like, tell him why. Like, cause he said, you know, why are you here? Like, why are you being asked to translate? Like, you know, and I'm like thinking that he's just kind of trying to like get some answers out of her through his, through the niceness, like through the nuances mm-hmm. of the conversation when you guys are just like, nah, he likes Mariko. And I could see it that way too. You know, it is, it's just funny how you watch it and how it comes, it comes through certain lenses. Yeah, I'm not willing to die on the hill that Martin is a good guy <laughs> to his core. And also, but, yeah. yeah, this is where I wanted to come at Paul, and it's not even really coming at him. But I didn't see any kind of relationship thing between Mariko and and Martin where he was saying a romantic relationship. I just honestly think it's like her looking at a, a priest. Like, not yeah. a fatherly figure, but like a priest that she respects. And him either looking at a student he respects or looking at someone that he's trying to take advantage of in a, in the way for his schemes. If you're looking at it from my view or your view. Yeah. I, like I said, I'm, I don't have like a hard stance on this, but we're definitely going to find out soon. I think it's a little bit more compelling to have somebody be that deep into the Portuguese religion and be on the Portuguese side, but not be pure evil. If you put it. Right. Exactly. Right, right. So like, I think it will be more interesting to have him just be to his core, like who he is and like for the religion. So we're going to find out though. Yeah. Um, we'll Martin, Martin's a great character. Some, some other things I took away from this scene though, because 
I thought that the cinematography of the original conversation between Tornaga and JB before Ishido gets there was fantastic. How it started with Martin was very clearly involved translating back and forth. And like, as it got closer to their faces and it started, like it, it just started blending. I th- And it was like English to Japanese. I thought that was so well done. And they're probably going to do that multiple times. Yeah. And to me, that was just like, wow, these guys are taking the care. They know what they're doing. They spent the time to build up the translation and then they can just drop it for our benefit and move on. But it still makes so much sense. Like Martin's still there. So all that was freaking amazing. And then another quote that I loved here was, I think JB was like fighting for his life here, willing to say whatever he wants, where he says through Martin, I can never conceive us being enemies. And then, and then it goes back to Tornaga and he's like, I can very easily see it. And it's yeah. just like such a badass moment where he never loses his cool and he steals yep. every scene, his dialogue. I don't understand it directly, but like the way he delivers lines is amazing. And like, yep. this is one of my favorite scenes of the first two episodes. My favorite scenes coming up in a little bit. Of course, it's going to be starring Tornaga as well, but overall mm-hmm. like this was great and then ashidu comes into the room and then plays his part like you kind of expect him to do where he's like disgusted at this barbarian and says like send him to prison yeah yeah and i just find any translation scene throughout the two episodes so freaking compelling like you said mm-hmm. and this one was just a plus with how it starts zooming in on Tornaga's face and then John's face. And it, like you said, it's like they're having the, it's, it's showing it like they're having the conversation and you're not realizing there's a translator towards the end of it. Really, really phenomenal filming. John gets marched off to prison and then we kind of skip tonight and we have this Mariko scene where it's her and her family. We get to actually see Hiramatsu's son, who we hate, I think. He, he seems like a little bit of a loser. And he, he, doesn't, he doesn't respect his wife, doesn't want her to have anything outside of yeah. the household motherly role. And their son, nothing really to take away from him. But more importantly, when Hiramatsu comes in and says that whole line where we need you for the meeting and the son thinks it's him, but it's actually about the translator, Mariko, they go to their dinner. And I thought that this was... The only time I thought Tornaga cracked a smile, and it was when Lady Kiri, that girl that was sitting at the table, was like cracking up yeah. with all the jokes. I thought that was funny because it showed you a little bit of his human side, and he was talking less like a lord and more like a person for a second. Yeah. So I thought it was like a, it was a cool scene, but it's more just Agreed. also putting more respect on Mariko, like she's being pulled into the inner circle. Yes. Mariko is going to be, and I hate how I'm butchering saying Mariko like that. Like, it's just so. It's Eyes like are a, usually like E, like Omi, yeah, it's Mariko. Like, uh, like, it's Taiko. like uh, Inglorious Bastards when Brad Pitt's pretending to be Italian and he's like, yeah. Gorlami. <laughs> yeah, with my damn, with my damn uh, Delco accent. But uh-huh. yeah, she's going to be a game changer in this show. I really like her act, the actress. Like I said in the first episode, the husband's going to be a problem because he's going to get jealous that she's becoming part of the inner circle. It does mm-hmm. seem like, forgive me, I don't know how it works. I don't know if it was an arranged marriage for her, but either way, you can tell that the fact that she had to marry him or did choose to marry him, whether whichever one it is, but then had to basically put everything else aside and become only the wife and only, like, again, in that scene, he says... Ask me or tell me why your mother's trying to do anything outside of this household, basically, mm-hmm. you know, and you can tell that she has so much to give and, and so much potential and she's being held back by the fact that she's stuck, quote unquote, in the house. So um, being pulled in by Tornaga, it's 
it's going to be awesome. And it's already being shown to be awesome. And I, I love every scene that she's been in so far. And again, like I said, I do think that it's going to be her and JB and mm-hmm. the back and forth between them is going to be very, very intriguing. So put it on the board. Now I was going to ask, you think that Mariko is going to kiss JB at some point? I wonder if it's going to be like they turn the husband into the purely like pissant sexist, like we hate you character mm-hmm. where JB eventually like kills him or something because she, you know, she does fall in love with JB. And I don't know if it's going to be that she gets caught or whatever it is, but I have a feeling that he's going to be a problem and he's going to have to be gone. But yeah, I do think that they're going to, they're going to, uh, I thought I was going to be the only one with that opinion, but whatever. It seems like we're, we both kind of think it's going to go that way. Enemies to lovers kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So, okay, let's move along because there's going to be a really good JB Mariko scene later, Mm -hmm. but I want to talk about after the dinner, we find out some things that are going to directly lead to this offshoot bucket that I'm going to, or scene I'm going to bring up, which is the fact that, Tornaga's grandchild is about to be born. Like that's like yes, the, the I believe it's daughter. And also at the same time, he he allowed Lady Achiba to come home to the castle because he's mm-hmm. not hostile. Like he's not doing this yeah, for the power plays. Like he's a good dude. Right. So like he's like, of course I'm gonna do that. But the important like why I'm queuing this up is because we have another scene where that whole conversation gets rehashed by Ishido and the other four, three councilmen, the ones that we've been uh, mentioning before, right? We have Ishido, Sugiyama, Ono, and Kiyama. So yep. this conversation's cool because it actually just, I like the idea that Ishido, while he's the leader, it's not just like these other three are useless because they have their own power and they're not actually oh, yeah. always with him and they're pulling around their Christian weight like and, and trying to to build things around their religion that he has to kind of navigate. So that's what this whole conversation is. Like they, they want yeah. John JB to be executed be, for being a heretic. Right. And they yeah, refuse I mean, to vote on Tornaga until Ishido signs off on this. Right. I mean, Tornaga is fully counting on the fact that they all have equal strength as regents, five equal regents. And it needs to be one, I guess to that, to him, the four others have to agree. He's counting on the fact that Ono and Kiyama are going to go against Ashido at this point hmm. and wield their power and say, no, no, we're not voting until we get what we want to. And that's his power play. Yeah, I'm I'm loving the the councilmen being actual like figureheads that are going to be just like the wardens, if you want to think of it like Game of Thrones. Like these guys are so important and, and the build yeah. up is there. Ono is creepy as hell. He, he gives me yeah. uh he like reminds me of. Do you ever see Three Hundred? Oh yeah, like like just like the the, the yeah. disfigured guy that like kind of is always like hiding and creeps around. Like he gives me those Make, vibes. Yeah, he's creepy as hell, and I don't know what's known about leprosy back then, but obviously you can't really be touching them or near them that much, and he moves that screen to talk, and I'm like, oh, 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 get away from me. <laughs> don't get too close. Yeah, he's a creep. But those guys are going to have an important part to play, and it's going to oh, yeah. be interesting because they're always going to be on the same team. Those two, Ono and Kiyama, just because of their 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 religion. So and that yeah. trumps everything. But anyway, right. we'll jump back. We'll we'll pick up with um Shido a little in a little bit here. But jumping back to I guess Osaka, just in general, like we have more Minowara lineage conversations that we kind of already spoke about. But I guess what happens is we see John JB's perspective from the makeshift little prison he was thrown into and he sees a father in there and we get some info dumps. That's actually where we got all the councilman information. I think originally, like he literally 
says each one's name and why they're why they're famous or why they're important. Mm-hmm. And also having public executions that are brutal as hell just happening in the background, like every yeah. whatever they said day or hour. Yeah, so I guess this is just more John finding out what's really going on here, like because he doesn't know much besides what Rodriguez told him. So he's he's really yeah. shaping his view of Japan here, and it's he's just getting more perspective on what's actually going on here. Yeah, yeah. This father is actually someone that he technically can trust because this father is Protestant, right? I and think so. Yeah. Yeah, he's trusting the information he's getting, and he keeps saying. I'm not here to die. You know, it's not my time to die. I have things to do. And the father doesn't really believe him. But yes, it was a very interesting scene, seeing all of the prisoners one by one, every hour getting taken. And then when it's time for JB, you know, the father's like, hurry up, tell me your sins, tell me your sins. And he's like, it's not my time to die, man. Even though he kind of is feeling it, he gets close. He gets pretty yeah. close. He's got that, uh, he's got that safety net. Our boy, uh, <laughs> Yabu, Yabu, <laughs> Yabu. Yabu. It's got his back. Yeah, man. So that's the other scene I was kind of hinting at. Is we see Yabu and Ashido talking after the councilman conversation happens. This yes. is another, if you want to call it like a scheming scene here, where you're really seeing Yabu's true colors, and I hate it because I wanted the redemption a little bit, but I just feel yeah. like it's just getting farther and farther down the road of just no return. But right. these two have a good relationship. They were warriors together in a war against Korea, I think is what they actually say. Yep. So they have deep ties. They trust each other. So they kind of talk openly about the whole situation in Toronaga. And Toronaga, like from their perspective, or maybe Ashido is just trying to sell this to Yabu to turn him that Toronaga is not grateful for like everything he does for him as like a clansman. Like he's not a good liege for him. So he's he's planting all these seeds. And I guess he's pulling at strings here to see what what Yabu can really offer. And they yep. talk about they talk about John JB and say like he's already sentenced to death. Unfortunately, I can't use him as a pawn in this game because the other councilman wouldn't let me vote on Toronaga until we decided to execute him. So that's when Yabu jumps in and says, hey, I can do this for you. And then yeah. we can skip back to that scene that you were just talking about of just him walking to his execution. Yeah, Yabu did a big thing for Ashido there because Ashido can't risk at his position releasing JB in whichever way it needs to be because if he gets caught, it's game over for him as a regent. The two other ones will fully go against him and Tornag and him aren't homies, so he will literally get pushed out and won't, no decisions will really be able to be made because no one will agree on anything. And for what we know right now, besides Tornaga, he does seem like the big dog. Like He seems like he takes charge, even though they all do, like when it's time, we already talked about it, Kiyama and Ono put their foot down. But Ishida, you know, was running the the meeting that they had earlier and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So, yeah, Yabu did a big thing for Ishida. They are homies. That's the problem. You know, he's not... I really do take him as schemer. He's going to be a problem for Tornaga because he's going to be Ishida's guy. And, yes, that scene where they saved JB. Badass. And you knew, you know, you know, you give them the money and they're all dying. You know that shit. Like, <laughs> of course, yeah. You got to cover yeah. your tracks. No loose, th- yeah. loose ends there. No witnesses. But this is actually, I like this scheming. I, I don't like that it's against Tornaga, but I do like that it's anti the other two Christian Christians um, councilmen. Right. Because that's, we need some chaos on the bad side for it to really work. And it's also more believable that there would be that like vying for power, even for the bad guys, like within themselves, kind of like the forsaken oh, yeah. and stuff and like wheel of time. Like I love that stuff. So I thought, I think this is like a good conclusion that they want to keep 
John alive to be a bargaining piece for Ishido, like when Tornaga's yes. like removed and stuff. So I thought that was like a great scene, and it and it helps explain some paths forward for some of our enemies here. The execution scene itself, like that was brutal. It was awesome. I love how they're not yeah. shying away from blood and cutting heads off and betraying all that good stuff that I I think should just be there if you're trying to take a realistic look at the 1600s and what it would be yeah. like. So. That all happens, and then that directly leads to my favorite scene of the show so far, which is when Yabu then delivers JB to Toronaga to like have this whole conversation again. And yes, let me gush for a second because I, I really <laughs> thought that this was like the best scene of the show. Like I was mm-hmm. so excited at how Toronaga was was asking questions, like especially mm-hmm. like the map, like when he says. Okay, let me let me slow down because I'm getting a little too <laughs> yeah. excited here. That's all they right, do, man. I agree. They do call for Mariko. The air is there. Yabu's there. It's a huge audience, right? And they're going right. to fully, again, interrogate Taranaga, except without Father Martin there. It's going to be Mariko who's going to be the translator. So that's why she's there. But I love everything that happens here because not only do we finally get some information about like JB's backstory about he actually is saying, I don't know if it's true or not, but he's he's riding for the Queen of England at the time and saying like we're going to be all peaceful so we're building out like his backstory and then that's just i love when he says to him like draw me a map of the world like what you think it looks like that is just it's so cool because that's what had to happen like people didn't know what the world looked like you don't you got to compare information and the fact that he says it's like round and like it's like a fruit and he's drawing the two sides of the world in the sand like I really was just like smiling at that scene because I thought it just, it highlights both how knowledgeable JB is, how receptive and smart Tornaga is. All of that just like left me smiling. I was like, this is such a great scene. And then you have on top of that, the extra layer of Mariko who wants to have everything filtered through the idea that like the Christians are the good guys. And that's not what JB's saying. He's telling them in this scene that all of the Portuguese are claiming ownership over Japan because of this random ass treaty that they came up with a hundred years ago. We've been referencing it a lot, but like that's like the basis of all this. And then, dude, I love when they say the line where Mariko's translating, and then he mm-hmm. says what he what he ends up saying is that the that Japan belongs to the Portuguese. And then yes. he looks at him, he goes, "Did he use the word belongs?" Like. Mm-hmm. I thought it was so freaking good, man. I was just it so was. happy. I was like, this is so goddamn cool. But I'll shut up for yeah. a second. <laughs> no, that dude, you, I, I'm so happy that you're gushing because I agree, man. And Shogun, the the wh- whoever it is, the people that have the money know that that was a big scene because obviously the opening credits are using the sand and stuff. Exactly. I don't know if you've fast forward yeah, yeah. or not mm-hmm. but that was just so cool with him getting the stick and drawing it out and this guy is a pilot navigator we already know he's competent you trust him he is like one of the best people in the world to tell you what the world looks like from his eyes and having Tornaga say like all right we're gonna talk about this more later and he's like oh whoa, 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 real quick let me just finish it and he just like starts mm-hmm. telling and he's like cut this in half and then he gives the line that you said my goodness and then a huge part for Mariko here because this is going to be this was a defining moment for her because she had the chance to bullshit here when he said something against Christianity she says to him she looks at him and she's like no you're lying that's not true tell me right she could have turned to Toranaga and been like saying something else totally said Mm -hmm. anything she needed to to protect Christianity 
but she said, swear to your God, he swore, and she truthfully translated. You know, that yeah. could have been, you know, you go, oh, that's the fork in the road for her. And she is, seems, she seems like a very pure character. This scene was just like defining for this show. Mm-hmm. So that's such a powerful moment for Mariko too, because I think that's the first time we get to see her have any sort of any sort of doubt in her faith because if her if yeah. the people that she just has changed her whole life to to be devout to are out here working against Japan like her home country and it's really just this whole ploy by the portuguese to supplant the rulers and make them their own religion like she's like having an identity crisis almost like a yeah. mini one like she which is why i think the jb and mariko thing can work really well cuz it's going to be like him showing her the other perspective and her coming back away from the the Portuguese, like all that. I it, It's just compelling TV. I keep saying it. Yeah. You, like the word compelling keeps coming to mind, but it really is. I think it's like so well done because we're going to see that inner strife play out and it's going to drive a lot of her decisions because there's going to be a moment where she's going to probably turn against her faith and go back oh, to yeah. being anti, you know, Catholicism. So all of that's freaking amazing. And then the last thing I want to bring up is like the end of that scene, which is them asking JB point blank, like, why are you here? And he wants to rally them to fight their mutual enemy being the Portuguese. And that's when Tornaga says, you got to drop this. Like you have no chance of living through this. And he goes, well, like, what if I win or something like, like whatever the, yeah. unless I win, he says, unless and at I win that moment, it looked like Tornaga actually got respect for him, like standing mm-hmm. his ground, having his more like all of that. So, and that plays really well into allowing like that whole ploy of allowing him to stay in his room. And like that plays out in the rest of the episode. But I just like, because respect is so hard to get in this world. I love when you start to see it given to somebody. It's just, yeah. it's, it just makes it extra special compared to a random Western film or tv show sure sure totally agree okay i think we're pretty much at the end here that funny little bathing scene i thought was hilarious he's like what you want me to bathe two times in a week i'm gonna get a disease like that's crazy. <laughs> that is, that's mind-blowing to me but let's just i'll let you start with anything you want to bring up for the whole rest of the episode which is just the two things are martin trying to convince toranaga to let the black ship leave but because mm-hmm. of that conversation he no longer trusts the portuguese that they have their best interests in mind so he shuts that down right. that's going to have some implications and then of course the assassination attempt which i think it's confirmed that it was the assassination attempt was by kiyama which or kiyama and ono like a combination of the two and maybe that's a conversation and i'm just saying co- confirmed when it's not but i'm pretty sure it's the it's the christian the catholics that are trying to have yeah JB so Going to what you said, uh, yeah, I think that the Catholics sent the assassin, whether it's Kiyama and Ono or just Martin's band of priests. Priest, you know, yeah. I don't remember who Martin's other, the other priest was that he was talking to in that one scene, but that guy actually seemed like he was above Martin. But either way... Yeah, I think so. You do, you do have the scene where... They're like, oh, they're coming for Tornaga. They're coming for Tornaga. And he's like, it wasn't one of the regions because they were going for JB. Mm-hmm. But technically it could be because the two regions are Catholic. So we don't. I don't think we know exactly, but it is the Catholics that were going after JB. I brought this we up We can in the clear Ishido though, right? Yabu and Ishido are not yeah, suspects. No, yeah. Otherwise they would have killed him in the, in the forest. Yeah, no, no. 100% yeah. that is not on them. And yeah. they weren't going for Tornaga. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I already brought this up in the first episode. I just really like the the scene with JB 
And are they calling her Marie or Mary instead of Marie Mariko? At one point, Lady Marie. Uh, Martin calls her Lady Marie or Maria. JB and Lady Marie having that scene together just kind of further pushed me along the lines that they are going to have that romantic relationship because we already alluded to this. Not only is Lady Marie having a small crisis of faith because of the whole conversation with JB and Tornag and her translating, but there's going to be a scenario where we have Lady Marie and JB, they both respect each other. JB is Protestant and he hates Catholics, but he's going to respect and maybe love Lady Marie. And I just really like that scene because it's it's funny, and we brought it up a few times, whether he's bullshitting or not because he knows he's in danger. JB, when he wants to be, is very cordial and courteous and respectful. Like, I liked that scene with Lady Marie and him for that. Like, he seemed very respectful. Mm-hmm. Except for when he spoke out of turn, apparently, when he said, you know, watch the priests and stuff. But he took it to heart. But even that, like, even okay. that, yeah, and even that back talk, though, of her, that's usually what you hear someone say when they're like, maybe you're right, but back off, bro. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So, I mean, I'm also going to just give the praise to, I loved the assassination. Like, I didn't think she was going to get that many bodies. I didn't think it was going to be yeah. blood flying on the, like, that's just an iconic imagery in just, like, anime. Like, blood flying on the doors, like, as the slices yep. happen. Like, all of that looked great. Uh, I would say Tornaga's got some weak-ass samurai in his house, though. Like, Jesus, yeah. man, they couldn't freaking, they couldn't take this girl out. But it's going to be like interesting because i'm sure that the opening scene because now because this episode ended with tornaga acknowledging that like who the assassination attempt was actually on but john didn't hear any of that because it's all in japanese like they're looking at him saying it and like it's kind of implied but i'm assuming there's going to be a direct conversation about what the plan going forward is between those two in the like opening episode three Right. Going back to the culture stuff, too. Like, John is just laying there in an empty room on the ground yeah. with like a blanket and a mini pillow, and he's trying to like get comfortable. And then yeah, he hears yeah. people scream, and he's like, What the hell's going on? But yeah, <laughs> it's just wild that he's getting up here in the screaming, and people are dying, and he doesn't know one thing that's happening, even when it's figured out and the conflict is over. Like you just said, they're all speaking and explaining that they were after him, but he has no idea yet. So they will explain that. But Tornaga again, the freaking man, setting it up. I've been waiting, too, to see him in action. That was a very small taste, and I'm sure we're going to get a lot more. And, like, he had the one up on her. And this is another thing. Like, JB saved, not necessarily saved Tornaga because he already had sliced her, but he thought he was saving Tornaga. Like, he got in the way and had his own arm sliced by the dagger to save, quote-unquote, Tornaga. Yep. They're going to be mm-hmm. homies. They're going to end up being homies, and I'm, I'm here for it. Them working together, that's the dream. Like, and it's going to yeah. be awesome because they're definitely going to yep. be on the same side. And then throw Mariko in there. Like, that's the power team right there. So Damn right. Uh, don't a, forget our number two, man. Who's a, don't forget what? number two, Hiramatsu. Oh, yeah, yeah. True, true, true. Of course yeah. he's right. That's just assumed. He's yeah. the plus one to Tornaga. Yeah. Damn um, right. That's it, man, dude. That was an yeah. incredible two episodes. I know it was a longer podcast, but this was naturally going to happen with two episodes to cover and the first one with all the heavy world building and exposition. But next one should be a little bit easier. We'll have Paul back. I'm really looking forward to watching more. Like, I... Like I said, I watched these episodes twice in the first 24 hours of it dropping. Like I could watch it again and not even be bored for a second. Like this is this is a show I haven't hit this level of excitement about in a long time. 
And I just hope the re- I hope the reviews keep staying there. The chatter online keeps staying there. I don't necessarily want to say I hope for a season two if the writer doesn't have something in mind because that usually doesn't right. work out right. But I still want them to get their praise. I want these type of stories told. And I want FX or Hulu, whoever owns this, to keep taking risks like this because this so far is like, holy hell, like it's such a good show. And I'm excited to keep going. Perfectly said, man. The praise has been unbelievable. Just tweets and tweets left and right from... Rotten Tomatoes saying it's currently at 100 right now. I don't know if it still is, but at the time it was. And mm-hmm. all of these publications saying this is the natural progression from Game of Thrones for Prestige TV and in, in this type of, of fantasy world, or if that's how you want to say it, historical dramas. And man, I, I am so happy that it's getting the praise because to be completely honest, when I saw the trailer, I don't know if I sent it to you guys or you had already seen it, but either way, when I saw it, I was like just seeing it by chance because friend of the pod, Tyler, from anyone who's listened to Detective and Silo, he just said, yo, check this out. I didn't Mm -hmm. even think there was that great of marketing at the time when I first saw it. And then it's really just like the quality is pushing Mm -hmm. the marketing. It's the word of mouth. I, I, exactly. That's a huge part of it. But I do think it was, it wasn't like bottom of the barrel marketing, like some Apple no, TV no, shows no, are not, especially as it got closer, it was definitely being talked about But right. back when we saw it, like there's other shows that, you know, Oh, in a year it's going to come out and they market it and you actually get like excited. Like I saw Shogun and I was excited because of the trailer, but not because they made me excited by marketing until it got closer. And then it started rampant. And then again, like we said, the word of mouth. So yeah, Yeah. keep it coming. I I can't wait. And we're going to have a blast covering this. Like Luke said, this was a longer episode, but it won't be too long for each other. One, we're going to have one episode each, each week. We'll be getting them out as quick as possible. We're going to be on YouTube. We're going to post smaller clips just for easily digestible clips. We're going to post the whole thing. We're going to be on any of your favorite podcast apps. Guys, if you want to talk about this with us, hit us up on Discord. Hit us up on Twitter. We're everywhere. We answer everything as long as we see it. So the best place would be the Discord because we have so much fun. We are always on the Discord with everybody. Whenever someone hits us up, we talk right back. We're going to make the Shogun channel for that. And if there's anything that we missed, anything historical that we didn't understand, hit us up. Let us know. We love being corrected with that kind of stuff we love learning shogun's teaching us a lot and you guys can teach us more if you know anything about it if you're a fan of Town tv like i said in the intro we are covering a lot of other shows and we've covered a lot of other shows in the past too so all you have to do is check us out at bingetowntv.com or check us out at bingetown tv on any of your favorite podcast apps all right paul sorry we couldn't finish the episode with you he'll be back for next episode once again we are bingetown tv And thank you so much for listening. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.